Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Mac and Jets Jack Sports Debate Show. We're here every Saturday, 8 to 10 a.m. Uh, of course, we're part of the Mac and Jack Sports Show that goes Thursday through Sunday, 8 to 10 a.m. Uh, we're live on Roku TV, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and a lot of other places will be live, uh, will be shared to later on different platforms. Um, I'm your host, Mac, with your co-hosts. Today, Jack is not with us. Jack is not with us today. He's down at the Boxing Hall of Fame. Uh, but he was great enough to get me hooked up with one of the co-hosts here. But let me first by introducing one of our normal uh, guest co-hosts to come in here, Dr. Paul Semendinger uh, from Start Spreading the News uh, blog. He also has a show on Northeast Streaming Sports called Start Spreading the News. And he's also a award-winning author. And he's had a couple books out there that are doing really well. His latest one was The Least Among Them. I hope I'm I'm saying that right. Mm -hmm. Where it had a Yankee player that got one time at a Yankee game, whether it was at bat or in the field, I think it was. Right, Doc? And they had their one chance, and that was it. And a credible One game as a Yankee. That was their whole career. Story about a bunch of them and led to other stories. Very interesting. We also have our Mets expert. He's back with us. He was with us before. Josh Rubin. You want to talk about a guy that knows about the Mets? I mean, this guy. This guy knows everything about the Mets, and we love having him on. So, what I want to do is start it out, guys. Before we get to the debates, I want to start a little bit talking just about the Yankees and Mets in general. Now, they both won last night. For instance, uh, the Yankees are forty-two and sixteen. The Mets are thirty-nine and twenty-one. They're both having good seasons. Uh, the Mets are a little banged up rotation. They're still holding their own. Their starting pitchers will be coming back soon, and I think the Mets will take off again. So I think the uh, National League East is in trouble this year. I think the Mets are going to own that. As I said in the beginning of the year, I think the Yankees improved enough defensively on the bench uh, that they're going to. I think they're going to win the AL East too. I think they got the best team in the AL East. That's what I think. We'll see what happens. But about the Mets and Yankees in general, all right. I think they're not really a rivalry, right? It's like for bragging rights in New York, right? We really don't play each other enough to have a rivalry. It's not like Yankees, Boston, uh, San Francisco Dodgers, uh, the uh, the Pirates versus the Phillies. Those are real rivalries. It's more like a bragging rights, right? And and what's really great about Mets fans is they support their team, and they and they're the crowds there are unbelievable. They they outsell the Yankees all the time. I don't know whether that's because the Yankee fans have uh, had it too good too long or they just don't make it there or where it's at. But it seems the Mets fans support the Mets unbelievably. So I respect that, first of all. Um, I think that maybe the Mets really don't have a rivalry in their division or in their league. They really don't. I, know, I There's nobody close to them that they really have a rivalry with. Philly would be close, but they got Pittsburgh and and the Yankees got Boston. We've had Boston forever. So I think the Mets love it when the Yankees lose and they win. So the only time I can re- remember, and me, I, I like the Mets, to be honest with you. My grandfather was uh, a huge Mets fan. I watched the 69 World Series. I got no problem with the Mets, unless they play the Yankees. Of course, then I want the Yankees to whoop them. But I think 
the only time that they played where I was kind of disappointed with the Mets was when they played the Yankees in the World Series. And I'm going to tell you why. The Mets and the Yankees, to me, had a pretty evenly team, pretty evenly matched teams. And I think when Roger Clemens kind of punked your catcher, Ruben, and threw at him, and he didn't come and charge the mound, I think that that's where you lost. I think if Piazza charged the mound there, it would have regenerated the Mets. Instead, he just stood there and looked at him, threw the bat kind of on the field. Clemens throws the bat in his direction, almost hits him, and he goes down to first. I never understood why Piazza, being the captain of the Mets, didn't charge the mound. I know Clemens is a big guy, but just for that emotional lift, I think you guys would have been back right in that World Series then. What do you think? I think we can all agree Roger Clemens belongs in prison for what he did to Mike Piazza in uh, 2000. That that was a uh, attempted assault, even though he yeah. claims he thought it was the ball. And if you, if you remember, after that happened, Clemens pitched an unbelievable game and shut them down. Uh, I do agree with you about being disappointed with the Mets in that series. But the way more disappointing thing before that happened was game one. Uh, they had a lead in the ninth. Armando Benitez blew the game. They had the potential to get insurance runs. Uh, Timo Perez didn't hustle around the bases. On uh, I believe it was Todd Zeal hit a ball that he thought was a home run, but wound up hitting the top of the fence, coming back into play, and he got thrown out at home. Uh, so those two things, we could the, we the as if I was on the team, the Mets could have gone up one nothing in that series would have been huge. And then yeah, after the Clemens thing, Piazza kind of like stares him down, walks towards him a little bit. But I agree, uh, if that was the 1986 Mets, there would have been fists flying. I think so. And I think, and, and what do you think, Doc? Do you think? I mean, it seems to me that the Mets fans have a problem with the Yankee fans. They kind of think we're stuck up, that we think we deserve to win, and we've been winning all this time. And 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 I think that's. They always tell me, all the Mets fans I know, I don't have a problem with the Yankees. I have a problem with the Yankee fans. And they do have a point to a point, right? I mean, listen, I'm not that way. I don't think you're that way. But a lot of Yankee fans are that way. We kind of the big brother, little brother thing. We kind of rub that in, in into their face a little bit. And, and I think this is what makes the Mets fans so upset with us. Would you agree with that? Well, I, I think the Yankee standard, obviously, is – World Series or bust, right? And I think that's the Yankee fans' ob objective every year. Like, uh, there's an article on our on our site today. Start spreading the news, and it says, "I think the Yankees are going to win the AL East. I think they're going to, obviously, even if they just play 500 ball the rest of the way, they're going to have 94 wins." But it's not about winning the East. It's about winning the World Series, and I agree with that philosophy. And I think I think when you set the bar that high and you lose in the playoffs and you're disappointed, I, I think that can come off as being arrogant and, and it, it, it's annoying to a, to a lot of fans. Now, longtime Yankee fans are people that are used to the Yankees going through down periods. I mean, the Yankees haven't won a World Series since 2009. And anybody who's my age or older, you went through a period from 78 to 96 where they didn't win a World Series. And if you're a little older than that, you went for, through a period from 64 to 76 without them even getting in the World Series. So, so, but I think there's this perception that the Yankee fan only accepts greatness. And because of that, that makes them somewhat obnoxious. I, I, I think we all know people like that. Obviously, you're not like that. I'm not like that. 
But when you're the Met fan and your team struggles more often historically than than your big brother or the bigger team in New York, the the, the older team, et cetera, the team with the more uh, the, the greater history and the greater legends and all that kind of stuff. I, I think you can, there, there can be something of a, you know, like they're arrogant. They're, they're stuck up They're They're the, they think they're the best and they're really not. And, and everything about the Yankees is grandiose and, and Mets is second class and, and that kind of thing. I think, I think sometimes that type of mentality can sit in, set in. I think that's really well put, but I think the, the relationship between um, Mets fans and Yankee fans or rather the attitude of Mets fans towards the Yankees is it's definitely the big brother, little brother thing. Um, but it's also the whole out of sight, out of mind thing. Like when the, the San Francisco Giants won three out of five World Series in the early 2010s, obviously the Mets didn't care at all. But when it's on the back page every day and it's in the same town in 2009, the Yankees played the Phillies, and I was rooting for the Phillies to win just because out of sight, out of mind. I just couldn't take another parade. I couldn't take more headlines talking about how great the Yankees were. And w- when you flip it, Yankees fans' towards uh, attitude towards the Mets, I think it could be summed up with uh, – there's this line from the uh, the AMC hit show Mad Men with John Hamm where John Hamm's uh, coworker says to him, I'm worried about you. And John Hamm says, really? I don't think about you at all. And that's and that's kind of like, you know, Yankees fans are like, I don't care about the Mets. Yeah. Oh, great. You won a few games. I'm happy for you. Good for you. And then to go even deeper, when you look at the history, the the greats like uh, Doc was just referring to, you're talking about the greatest players in the history of baseball wearing the Yankee uniform, Ruth, Gary, DiMaggio, Mantle. And then you look at the Mets' all-time leaders, and it's like Ed Cranepool, Edgardo Alfonso, Jose Reyes. Like, it's just not the same. It's uh, and it's uh, it gets very tired uh, when it happens just year after year. Um, but yeah, like Doc mentioned, it's been a drought. One World Series this century compared to the Red Sox four, which uh, has to sting. <laughs> and, and it does. Trust me, it does. Um, and that's a whole different kind of uh, conversation that that I want to get into. Not at this time, though. But anyway, uh, folks, this is... I like the zinger. Do you like the zinger? We're talking Yankees-Mets, and, and it becomes... <laughs> yeah, but the Yankees have only won one World Series this don't century, you, and the Red you, Sox I mean, have I, four. Yes. You see you see yes. how we stuck that in? Oh, uh, the Mets never, have a pennant more recently than the Yankees. That, that, is, true. That. that is true. <laughs> so, guys, this is what we're here for. Let's get it rocking. Anything you can do, I can do better. Anything better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Anything you can be. That's right. It's the Mac and Jack Sports Debate Show every Saturday to 10 a.m. Today we have two guest hosts filling in for one filling in for uh, for Jack anyway. So we got Dr. Paul Simmendinger on the Yankee side. We have uh, Josh Rubin on the Mets side. I'm kind of the in-between, but I will pick up Doc where he is too nice about the Mets winning all these debates. So uh, let's let's start it off with which World Series team was better, the 96 Yankees or the 86 Yankees? And that's where we're going, Doc. So I'm going to let Josh go with it first. Well, I prepped for the 98 Yankees. Yeah, so so – are we going to go 98 or 96? No, I, I, I think 96. I can make a better argument 96. I know you can. I know you can. But, uh, Doc, you know, you said I would rather do that. I didn't say okay. I still want to go with the 96 Yankees. 
versus the 86 Mets. I want to give the Mets a shot here. Yeah, because the Mets can't win if it's 98. 86 Mets. Well, there's there's one clear, uh, and again, I prep for 98, but I'll go off the top of my head here. But there's uh, one clear uh, comparison between the two. I believe they're the only two teams in World Series history to lose the first two games at home and then come back and win the series. Uh, So I would put the 86 Mets up against virtually any team in baseball history, 108 wins, 54 wins at home, 54 wins on the road, just a very well-balanced team in the field. The rotation was uh, extremely well-balanced. You had a guy in Doc Gooden who's coming off one of the greatest pitching seasons in baseball history. He struggled, but he still wound up with uh, 17 wins, I believe. And uh, actually, the the anchor of the rotation wound up being Bob Ojeda. You had this unique bullpen with two closers. You had a lefty closer in, in Orozco and a righty in Roger McDowell. You had a deep, deep bench that had a future MVP in Kevin Mitchell who was a great utility player. He would play all three outfield positions. He would even play uh, shortstop occasionally. Uh, You had uh, just these guys contributing from everywhere. You had Ray Knight and Howard Johnson splitting time at third base. You had Mookie, Kevin Mitchell, Daryl Strawberry, Lenny Dykstra. You even had a terrible half season from George Foster, a former MVP. Um, And the, the anchors of the team, Gary Carter and Keith Hernandez just two of the greatest leaders clubhouse leaders that you could possibly ask for in the history of baseball and the way that those guys fed off of each other and really loved and adored each other as teammates um and we know all of the shenanigans that went on off the field sometimes on the field sometimes in the clubhouse during games as we learned from the uh you know the 30 for 30 that came out earlier this year on the on the 86 mets um and just such a unique team it's a shame that they allowed their window to close and only got one world series out of it 87 they had some uh, injury issues 88 they had the heartbreaker from Socha and the nlcs um but that team just started slow and then just ran run roughshod uh, over the league so much so that that uh whitey herzog had conceded the nl east by the uh by the end of may may okay so so that's the 86 Mets. Now, to, to help you out, uh, Josh, the 96 Yankees, uh, they had, they of course, they had uh, Derek Jeter was a shortstop. You had uh, Andy Pettit was the leading pitcher that year for them. I'm trying to see if I can get all these, uh, all the all the players that I had here for them. I know at first base, we had uh, Tino Martinez. Yep. And... Uh, but at uh, third base, second, Charlie Hayes was second base. Charlie Hayes yeah. wasn't the starter. But no, no, no. Off. Second baseman was uh, Mariano Duncan. And of he had course. A huge year. Yep. We played and today. Base... We win today. He hit 340 that year. He was amazing. Right. Wow. All right, Doc. So you take it away with, with the Yankee 96 Yankee team and see if you can stack it up against the Mets team. And if you can, I'll give you a hand at the end. All right. Well, you know, let's just talk about that 96 Yankee team. I, I would say that Josh wouldn't have had an argument if we went with the 98 Yankee team uh, because that team was just amazing. But if we want to go with the 96 team, I think yes. I can make at least a couple of arguments here. The 96 Yankee team was greater than the sum total of, of the individual parts. If you look at the record, the 86 Mets won 108 games. The 80, the 96 Yankees won only 92. Um, 
But the 96 Yankees had to go through an extra round of playoffs that the Mets didn't have to do. So they showed their medal against the better teams by beating them uh, through a number of different series to get to the World Series. Uh, Josh is right. They went down two games to nothing and then found the heart and ability to get through it and win. You know, that 96 Yankee team has four Hall of Famers on it. I think people forget that fact. You have Derek Jeter. You have Wade Boggs. You have Tim Raines and you have Mariano Rivera. You have the two highest Hall of Fame vote getters of all time in Rivera and Jeter. Combined, only one person didn't vote for either of them. Um, And then you have a couple of borderline Hall of Famers, guys like Bernie Williams, probably won't ever get in, but a case could be made. Andy Pettit, who might get in one day, and David Cohn, who might get in one day. So you do have a a number of really, really great players. Now, did they all have great seasons that year? They didn't all have great seasons that year. But again, that was a Yankee team that was was the coming of, of the greatness. And if you look at the 86 Mets, that was the pinnacle. And what it what it was was a giant bright flashing light, and then that was it. So maybe the 96 Yankees might be like the 85 Mets when the Mets were just about there and they were getting good, except that the eight, the 96 Yankees were able to go all the way. But as Josh said, after 96, after 86, I'm sorry, the Mets, it's really a disappointment. It's really, and I've heard people say this, like it's a travesty and it's a, it's a, it's a tragedy that the 86 Mets, that great team with all those great players, wasn't able to win anymore. The 96 Yankees set a cornerstone and a framework and a foundation that they made it to the playoffs in 97. And then basically it's that same core of guys that win the World Series in 97, excuse me, 98, 99, and 2000. The only team really in modern history since the 70s that's able to win three in a row Uh and again, in, t- in a tougher type of environment that has a more uh, equal equality among the playing teams and uh, longer rounds of, of uh, playoffs. So the 96 team was the foundation of what was a gigantic and highly successful dynasty. The Mets can't make that claim. So if you want to make the claim, which is the better team long term, it has to be the 96 Yankees. But what claim are we making? Are we making a standalone season by season comparison, 1986 versus 1996? Or are we making a comparison of the bigger picture? Because if it's a bigger picture thing, yes, winning four out of five World Series, you can argue that that's, you know, minus the uh, the time they won five in a row in the late 40s, early 50s, that that's the greatest dynasty in the history of baseball. But if we're you taking it standalone in there. The from A's, the early A's, 70s? Yeah. But for, it's close. Right. Yeah, so... Um, I agree with everything you said, uh, other than the fact that, you know, the Wade Boggs and Tim Raines, they obviously, they weren't elected to the Hall of Fame based on their body of work with the Yankees. And Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera were far far from uh, the Hall of Fame at that time. But uh, the, the Mets were kind of like greater than the sum of its parts also, because 108, 108 wins from a team that had two guys bat over 300, Two guys hit 20 home runs. One guy drive in 100 runs. So it's not like we had a we again. It's not like the Mets had these superstars that were, you know, uh, where you could look this roster and be like, 
oh my gosh, yeah, of course they won 108 games. It was just uh, it was just a very well-oiled machine and everyone playing together well and uh, kind of like the same thing as, as this year's Mets team, the next man up mentality. Guys going down, guys shuffling around, switching positions, just doing whatever it takes uh, to win. You know what? I have to say a lot of what I heard when you watched the 86 Mets was this word, um, destiny. And it did seem like that. Um, Mac and I were talking before the show about the fact that we don't hate the Mets, but in 86, oh, I hated the Mets. Well, it was easy to. Yeah. they, they, and, And retrospectively, looking back, I think one of the reasons I hated the Mets wasn't because they were good. It was because they were so good. And I think a lot of it was jealousy. I remember putting the Mets on, watching them, I think it was against the Cubs, probably in August, I couldn't tell you the day, but they were getting killed. And then I'm watching the Mets just getting hit after hit after hit and coming back and winning the game. And I'm saying like, why can't the Yankees be like that? And the Yankees were pretty good in 86 and 85 and 87. The Yankees were right there. They weren't quite good enough. And those Mets teams were just so gritty, that 86 team especially, and so good. I think the reason Yankee fans didn't like them wasn't because we didn't respect them. It was because we were jealous. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you guys, I liked the 86 Mets team. I really did. I really liked them a lot. But I'll make an argument for the 96 team. We all say, well, the Mets won 104 games. Well, what does that really mean? The records. A lot of people like talking about records. If you look at the Yankees division and the Mets division that year, the 96 Yankees might have won 104 games in that division too. And the Mets might have lost lost more if they played against the Red Sox and the Orioles. So I don't take a lot out of the records because you got to look at the competition. You got to look at who you're playing. I mean, if are you, do you agree that the Atlanta Braves had a great uh, World Series team last year? Their record wasn't that good. The Dodgers record was a lot better. So are you going to say the Dodgers are a better team than the Braves? I don't know. So a lot of people take records, especially in baseball, right? And baseball people take records and stats to the heart. You know, when Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl, they were a wild card team. Were they the greatest Super Bowl team? Were they a great? Yes, of course they were. So I don't I don't take a lot of stock in records when it comes to teams. I'll tell you one thing right now. The 96 Yankees batting average, the overall team, including the bench, was 288. That's was 263. But there's something to be said about having a great record and also closing the deal, right? Agreed. So it's it's one thing to be the 2001 Mariners and win 116 regular season games and then not close the deal. It's one thing to be the 2016 Warriors and win 73 games and not get the ring. But to be able to do both, to win 108 games and then carry that into – and, yeah, Doc, the Yankees had one extra playoff series – the NLCS against the Astros might have been worth three playoff series on its own. That last game, that 16-inning uh, game to avoid elimination, the ninth-inning comeback, you got Mike Scott waiting in the wings to to pitch game seven. They could not beat him, in part due to a scuff ball. Um, he was so a former Met, too. Which he, is, which he, is, he absolutely was. Story. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he won the Cy Young that year. People forget he threw a no-hitter on the last day of the season. Uh, and was virtually unhittable the entire playoffs against the Mets. Um, but it, I think the record, I agree with you, it, it don't mean a thing if you ain't got that ring. If, you know, you win a lot of games. 
And when but to close the deal, that, that's important. But now important. if you're comparing teams, Josh, at that time, now there's different times now. We're talking 96 and 86, all right? If you you got to take in consideration the level of competition. You have to. You can only play who's on your schedule. I agree with that. It's not the Mets' fault. It's not the Yankees' fault either. But if you're going to look statistically at the Yankees of that year compared to statistically the offense of the Yankees was better. Their pitcher, Andy Pettit, won more games than any of your pitchers. You had a better a better rotation with more wins. Wetland had 43 saves, one pitcher. Mariano had five. Mariano was eight and three that year. If you, if, if you want to look at it overall, now and let's talk about the World Series itself. The Yankees came back from 0 to 2. They didn't come back because of an error. They came back because they came back swinging on the best rotation in baseball at that time. The Atlanta Brazers, no doubt, had the best pitching rotation in baseball at that time. Well, we came back hitting. The Mets almost lost to the Red Sox, and if Bill Buckner didn't let the ball go through his legs, you guys were all done. I don't think so. It was a tie game at that point, so it would have gone into uh, to another inning. Absolutely. Uh, no, I no no no. There was another error that that they tied it up on. Bill Buckner, the the the, the Mets. I'm almost positive the Red Sox were up, and because of that error, they tied the game. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was you, a wild pitch. You are mistaken. It was a wild <laughs> okay. pitch to Mookie Wilson that allowed Kevin Mitchell to score the tying run, and then okay. the ball going through Buckner's legs allowed Ray Knight to score the winning run. But okay, no. let's go back to Game One of the '86 World Series when Tim Tuffle commits an error, lets a ball go through his legs, and the Mets lose one nothing on that one error. Okay. On that one okay. play, so that's game one. Now, that's fair. now, but if, you, but you gotta, gonna, you can't say the say, Mets. The Mets went on an error when they're down to their last strike, and they string together these two out hits, down two runs, not down one run, but with two outs, nobody on. They come back, they get a single, 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 wild pitch, and then the Buckner error. But even without the Buckner error, it's a tie game, and it goes and. Uh, there are many arguments to be made that Mookie could have beat that out even if he makes the play. And we all know that Buckner should not have been on the field in, in ordinary circumstances. Jerry McMara would take him out for a defensive replacement. He didn't in that case because he wanted Buckner to be on the field to celebrate. I agree. But I, I'm just which, saying which the, makes, way, the way the Yankees came back compared to the way the Mets came back, and uh, the Red Sox did not have the best road, pitching rotation in baseball at that time. So I'm just. No, they only had the MVP and Cy Young Award winner in Roger Clark. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's one true. guy. That's, they didn't, they they had didn't that have that one guy. He was them. pretty good. He was pretty good. But I'm, all I'm saying, Josh, is that I can make an argument that that team, the Yankees came back hitting against the best rotation in baseball. There's no doubt about that at that time. So I'm not saying that the Yankees had the better team. But I'm just saying, Doc's ready to give in to the '86 Mets. I'm not. I think I think that the '96 Met, uh, Yankees compare very well to the '86 Mets. Is all I'm saying. Well, if you were to take the players and shuffle them and give the Mets their team and give the Yankees their team, you know, well, two of those great Mets would end up having to be Yankees, I guess, right? Like Gooden, Gooden and Strawberry would Strawberry come over to the Bronx, him. and then you then you don't even have them on your team, and then you don't have a chance. So right. we'll we'll and, we'll, we'll and take listen. the. The 96 Yankees had a heck of a bench, and Daryl Strawberry was part of that bench. He met, you mentioned you mentioned Hayes, uh, Syria. Uh, Cecil Fielder that. was on that team. He had yes, a couple Ruben, of big hits in Ruben the playoffs. Rivera was on that Ru team. Ruben Sierra, yep. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the 96 Yankees were a fun team to root for. They, they broke 
a, a down period in the Yankees history, brought them back to glory. Absolutely. Um, you know, but then I, just to give the Mets credit, because I want to be fair here, there is a statistic called the Pythagorean uh, win-loss, which says what they should have had based upon their competition and their and, and the league. The Mets should have won 103 games that year, but they ended up winning 108, so they did better than their their projections. And the Yankees were only supposed to win 88 games and won 92, so they did a little better. But again regular season wise i don't think it's a question the 86 mets are better than the yankees but were the yankees a better postseason team because the mets didn't have they had a great bullpen but they didn't have mariano rivera who who had emerged by that point and was the setup man and really shut every game down once the uh, seventh inning rolled around you had rivera for the seventh and eighth usually and um then you had Wetland close it out. John Wetland was the MVP, right? Of the, of the 90, World Series. The 96 World Series, yeah. Yes, yeah. he was. He was. And guess what? I love the 86 Mets. I thought they were great. I, I loved their attitude. I loved the way they played baseball. I just loved them. I thought they were a real fun team. So let's get to their, our next our next uh, debate. Pettit or Kuzman? Pretty close. Um, both very good pitchers. Both carried the, carried the weight of their team. Sometimes they were the best on the rotation. Sometimes they were second. But man, those two pitchers were really important to both teams. Doc, you go first since I let uh, Josh go first last time. So what do you got on Pettit? Why is he better than Kuzma? Yeah, Pettit, Pettit's the better pitcher. Uh, it's it's not a question. Andy Pettit, um, Kuzma's a great pitcher. They're close. And that's why these debates are very fun because they are very close. But overall, Andy Pettit is the more valuable pitcher. You know, Kuzma pitched 19 years. Pettit pitched 18 years. They both won over 200 games when winning games actually mattered more than it does even today. But Kuzma won 222 games. Pettit won 256. That's a significant amount of wins. But if you want to say, well, you know, Kuzma pitched more years and he won fewer games, but he was on worse teams and all that. Let's take a look at their losses. Kuzman lost 209 games. Andy Pettit lost only 153. So you're talking about the guy who won more games and lost significantly fewer. Now, Kuzman had the better ERA, but it was a lower scoring era. He didn't have to pitch in the steroid era. era. Kuzman was an all-star two times. Pettit was an all-star three times. Kuzman was a one-time World Series winner. Pettit was a five-time World Series winner. And while Kuzman was pretty good in the postseason, well, actually, he couldn't beat him. He was 4-0 in the postseason. Pettit was, if not for El Duque, probably one of the greatest postseason pitchers in the modern era. Maybe you want to throw Kurt Schilling in there. But Pettit was 19-11 and in the postseason. And their postseason ERAs were very similar at 3.79 for Kuzman. Pettit's basically the same at 3.81, again, in a higher scoring era, which makes him better. But when we have these debates, you know, I, I think the thing, because it's so close, Pettit, I think, wins on all this, but but it's so close that you go to the statistic that I like to lean back on, which is war. Kuzman has a nice war, 57. That's really good. Usually what people say is 60 is the cutoff for a borderline Hall of Famer. If you reach 60, you can make a Hall of Fame argument. If you're under 60, it's harder. Well, Pettit made 60. He's 60.7. So Kuzman, great pitcher, great Met. Andy Pettit, 
greater pitcher, greater Yankee. Okay, so Ruben, what do you got to say to that? I mean, Doc makes, makes a pretty good argument there. So uh, you, you can just say you're right. I mean, the show's got to go two hours, but <clears throat> uh, listen, I'll play devil's advocate for a little bit. But let me uh, let me preface this by saying that I was born in the year 1987. And uh, Jerry Kuzman stopped pitching in uh, 1983. And uh, obviously, I, uh, I've studied the history of the game, and I, I've got anecdotes from from my father and uh, and others about Kuzman. And Kuzman was obviously the second fiddle to Tom Seaver. And all of the things that Doc mentioned are 100% true, and I could get behind that. And one of the strongest arguments for Pettit being a Hall of Famer is that he is over 100 games over 500 which is normally uh, a standard to, uh, to get in. So I'm going to manipulate the stats a little bit. Doc, I'm so glad you brought up war because uh, I'm going to talk about some saber metrics. And I know that some guys of a certain era aren't huge fans of saber metrics. Um, if you take the totality of their careers, I think that Andy Pettit was a beneficiary of circumstance. Uh, him being a five-time World Series winner obviously doesn't mean much for a guy that starts once every five uh, five games. Although when he does play, he's got uh, you know a, a great, a tremendous amount of influence on the outcome of the game. So I'll concede that, and he is considered one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time. But if we're talking about who's just the better pitcher, let's not take the totality of their careers. Let's take their primes. And I have uh, compiled the statistics of a five-year prime from their age 26 to 30 seasons, which I think we can all agree is right when a guy's uh, hitting their prime. So for Kuzman, that would be from 1969 to 1973. And I, I, part of this was also that I wanted to get numbers after they uh, lowered the mound after the 1968 season. Uh, so from over those five years, from age 26 to 30, Jerry Kuzman was a better pitcher over those specific years, over their, you know, quote unquote, apexes, their, their quote unquote primes. Uh, and one of the good indicators of that is a sabermetric called adjusted ERA, which takes into account that not every baseball diamond is the same dimension, like every basketball court and every football field is the same dimension. And it also takes into account the fielders behind them, the batters they're facing. And Kuzman had a better adjusted ERA. Kuzman had a lower whip, had more innings pitched, had more complete games by far, more shutouts. Obviously, those things kind of went uh, wayward. He had a higher war over that span also. Not much higher, but higher. And going further, he had a lower OPS against in terms of batters against, a lower BABIP, which is batting average of balls in play, meaning that he didn't need to rely on strikeouts to get guys out. Even when guys were putting the ball in play, he was producing outs. And just briefly to talk about the postseason, like Doc said, Kuzman was undefeated in the postseason. And he didn't have an opportunity to play in six World Series or seven World Series like Andy Pettit did. But in the 1969 World Series, he won two out of the four games. He won game two with eight and two-thirds innings pitched. He couldn't close the deal. But he won the deciding game five with a complete game. And that 
should, you know, that should be mentioned. That should be considered as well. So if we're talking totality of their career, it's not an argument. Andy Pettit's a better pitcher. But if we're talking about just their primes, and again, I'm cherry picking the ages 26 to 30 years, because that's generally when guys hit their stride. I think a very strong argument can be made for Jerry Kuzner. You know, that's, that's, that's great points on both sides. I mean, uh, Kuzman was a great pitcher uh, when it counted. Pettit, of course, was a great pitcher when it counted. I, I, I think Pettit's a little underrated. I think Kuzman's a little bit underrated, too. And when you start talking about some of the great pitchers in history, now I know they didn't get 300 wins, and, and you know, it's it's – I don't think we'll see 300 wins again. I to be honest with you. I think if you if you can get up over 220 pretty soon, I think that's enough wins to get you in the Hall of Fame. But um, I, I like I like Doc's argument to a point about Pettit with the totality. But if Kuzman got in five World Series, how many games would he have won? I mean, if if he got in World Series again, could he have been as good as Pettit? As as Josh was saying, he could have been. And Circumstance. When he had his opportunity, Kuzman was lights out. And Pettit was was that old regular, I'm gonna keep be consistent. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna win the game. And 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 there's something to be said about both pitchers. But you know, I, I even being a Yankee fan, Doc, I'm gonna go with I'm going with Josh on this one. I think in the prime of his career, Josh, Josh has you. Josh has you. And circumstances, uh, if Kuzman was in five World Series, how many would he have won? And if you, if you want to talk about value, Andy Pettit made $140 million in his career, and Jerry Kuzman only made two. So if we're talking about value, uh, financial value, Kuzman yeah. was way more value. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great, that's a great, great – you know, I, I'm making that argument. Uh, I'm, on, on Start Spreading the News, uh, one of the readers – and commenters was 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 talking about the upcoming Aaron Judge contract, and I don't want to take too big of a tangent, but well, when Bryce Harper about. was available, and people were saying that Bryce Harper was going to cost too much money, and I just made the argument that Bryce Harper's contract twenty seven point five million for the next number of years, and then it goes down to twenty three point five million. You know. Aaron Judge maybe is going to be the better player over the next five, six, seven years. But is he going to be the better player um, dollar for dollar when he's going to be making $10 million or more a year than Bryce Harper? Is he really going to be like that? So that's an interesting point. You want to look dollar for dollar between Kuzman and, well, and well, uh, Andy know, Pettit. And, and, but and Kuzman pitched – I'm sorry. Kuzman pitched uh, you know, before the free agent era uh, for the most course. part when yeah. he was great. Yeah, so, yeah. And, 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 and you, you got to think that – uh, you know, that uh, Carlos says Pettit was a better playoff pitcher. Not necessarily, Carlos. He has more wins. If you look at the wins in the when Kuzman pitched in the World Series and and in the playoffs and the Pettit pitched, they're pretty equal. Kuzman may even have an edge. So uh that's not true. So anyway, um so so folks, what we're gonna do, we're gonna get out of here and take our first break for today. Uh we'll come back and on the other side, I tell you there's a lot of Yankee Mets things going on, folks. So They'll be ready to go. But we're going to talk about the the DeGrom upcoming contract. I mean, this is really interesting. And then after that, we're going to talk about the judge contract because that's really interesting too because both teams are going to be faced with a a couple big decisions coming up here pretty soon. I mean, uh, you know, these are two of the best ball players right now uh, when, when they're not hurt. Let's put it that way. When either one of them are not hurt, they're lights out. 
but that's part of the problem. So uh, we're going to come back in a message in, in a minute here. We're going to uh, go over that. Uh, like I said, stick with us, folks. We'll be right back after these messages. Am I right? Am I right? Here we go. You worked too hard, you ate too much, the cheesecake made you greedy. Let your aching head and stomach hear this nifty promo speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Those speedy bubbles relieve your upset stomach and headaches fast. For acid indigestion alone, Alka-Seltzer gold. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. Cheetos presents Chester Cheetah. I'm Chester Cheetah. I'm just a cool dude in a loose mood. Until I see those Cheetos. Then my cool turns to drool. My style and ease surrender to my urge for the snack that goes crunch. It's not easy being cheesy. Cheetos cheese flavored snack. Cheese that goes crunch. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family, and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you, too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. I heard you want to be a Frito Bandido like me. You do? Then you must sing the Bandido song. Let's sing together. You just follow the bouncing Frito's corn chips bag. Ay, 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 ay. I am the Frito Bandido. I like Frito's corn chips. I love them, I do. I want Frito's corn chips. I'll get them from you. Ay, 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 ay. Oh, I am the Frito Bandito. Give me Frito's corn chips and I'll be your friend. The Frito Bandito, you must not offend. Now, boys and girls, you are Frito Bandidos too. You sing the Frito Bandido song and you look for crunchy Frito's corn chips. 
That's nice. Munch, 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 bunch of fritos, corn chip. If you're talking, they will hear you. Oh, no. Every single time. Oh, we're getting killed. Yeah, well, Kyle's not here. How come? Kicked off the team. Didn't Tim tell you? Kyle and some other kids got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Come on, it's a first offense, right? That we know of. But why should that matter? He knew not to drink. I've made it clear to Matt that that's what we expect from him. What have you said to Tim? Um, nothing really. You know, a lot of kids try it at this age, so... Yeah, well, a lot of kids don't try it, too. I'm not saying that Matt's going to be this perfect kid, but if I don't tell him what we expect and why he shouldn't drink, how's he going to know? You think kids that age really listen? <laughs> they never admit it, Bill, but they hear more than you think. Talk. They hear you. For more information about talking with kids about underage drinking, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. All good. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Debate Show. I'm joined today by Yankee expert, Dr. Paul Simmeringer, and Mets expert, Josh Rubin. I don't think he's a doctor, but I don't even think he plays one on TV. I'm not sure, though. So uh, Josh just knows a lot about the Mets, and that's why we have him on uh, all the time. Uh, yes, Carlos, we can't compare the two Mets. Uh, and Yankees teams, we definitely just did it. So that's I don't know. No, no, he's saying he's saying you can't compare the um, oh. the two. He, there should be the a two period pitchers? there. The Mets the were not pitchers? in many World Series. Well, he, he was responding well, to the idea that maybe it, it comes into the the idea of the speculation argument that Kuzman might have been as good as Pettit over the long term if he had played in that many postseason games, but he didn't. So he's saying you can't compare the two because he didn't. Well, oh, we it's can. just speculating. That's that's what well, he's saying. Oh, we definitely could compare him. We definitely could. I mean, if you look at Kuzman's record and you look how he did uh, in the World Series, uh, when he had a chance. Uh, I definitely could compare him, no problem at all. So, um, so anyway, so anyway, so we're back to the Mac and Jack the uh, debate show, the sports debate show. Again, as I said, I'm your host, Mac, with Dr. Paul Summendinger and Josh Rubin. We're live on Roku, YouTube, Facebook, and we'll be on a bunch of other platforms later. So. You know, guys, this is really interesting to me. Like I said in the beginning of the show, I really, I really, I, I'm a Yankee through and through. I'm a Yankee fan. I, I just, my father was from Brooklyn and uh, he was a Yankee fan. I'm of Dodgers at the time. So you know what kind of hell he went through when he was living in Brooklyn. But, um, you know, uh, he came out of there a, a huge, used to go to all the games um, at Polo Grounds and Ebbets Field and Yankee Stadium and, you know, he grew up watching DiMaggio and, and Mantle and all these guys and uh, took me to uh, see my first game in the Yankees and the Red Sox. Of course, the Yankees did win, thank God. Um, 
And uh, the Mets, again, my grandfather loved the Mets. He's from, he was out of Long Island. And, uh, and I used to sit there and watch Mets games with him all the time. So if the Yankees weren't winning and they weren't in the World Series and the Mets were, yeah, but I'm going to watch the Mets. I hope the Mets win. The only time I have a problem is when they face off against each other. Then, of course, being a Yankee fan, I would be rooting for the Yankees. Got some big contracts coming up, guys, on both teams. I mean, you got the best pitcher in baseball when he's healthy, Jacob DeGrom. And even when he's even when his team's losing, he's winning uh, Cy Young awards. This is how good this guy is. Um, you know, four-time All-Star, I think it's two-time Cy Young winner, award winner, two-time strikeout leader, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Um, but the availability, that's a lot of money for a guy that doesn't pitch that many games in the last few years. I think he's pitched maybe 11 games in the last couple of years, maybe. Maybe in one or more or less. I'm not looking at my notes right now, so I'm not 100% sure. He said he's going to opt out this year, Josh. He says he's going to opt out. That means that if the Mets want him, they're going to have to go re-get him again. And, I mean, when is a point as a as 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 a Met owner or a Met manager or a, a Met fan, you say, hey, listen, man, you know, we paid you well. You got, you're going to get paid well again this year. Next year, you got another option where you're going to get paid well again. I mean, and you haven't been there for us in the last couple of years. Where's that little bit of loyalty, man? Why do why do you got to opt out? Why do you got to test the market? Why do you want us to pay more for something we're not getting enough of? What do you say to that, Josh? Well, my belief is that contracts should be uh, based as a meritocracy. You know, I would love um, incentive-based contracts year in, year out. You know, one-year incentive-based contracts. But that doesn't help the players, and the players' union would never go for that. But I guess – at the early end of his career, you could argue that the Mets were getting an incredible discount for a guy that was pitching lights out in the playoffs, allowing them to helping them to win the pennant. Uh, he won game five of the NLDS against the Dodgers in 2015. And, uh, you know, he's been injured since last All-Star break. But before that, he gave us back-to-back Cy Young years with a close, you know, third, I think he uh, finished third in voting in 2020 um, behind Trevor Bauer and you uh, Darvish. Um, so I, I'm very skeptical about his health, but I've been reminded that he, you know, he's proven to be durable in the past. And hopefully this isn't, uh, this isn't something that's going to be recurring. He's 34 years old or, or about to be, I think his birthday's in a few days, actually. Um, but it's a young 34 in terms of pitchers. Uh, just to give you an idea, he's the same age as Clayton Kershaw, but he's only got about half the innings pitched compared to Clayton because he started so late. He started as a shortstop and didn't come up until uh, his mid to late 20s. And uh, as far as money goes, I, it's not my money. you know. And we were talking on Thursday about how Steve Cohen is – very willing to reward his players and very willing to spend money to do whatever it takes to win. I do think that Jacob deGrom needs to retire a Met. It would be heartbreaking to see him in any other uniform, just like I'm sure it was heartbreaking when the Mets traded away Tom Seaver in the seventies. Now this wouldn't be a trade. This would be just letting him go. Uh, I think if he were to test the market, he would get, he, he would get offers. Uh, I do think that he deserves a chance to get paid again. Now, when you're talking about a long-term contract, as a 34-year-old pitcher, I don't think you can go past five years. I think he's going to want more than that. Uh, 
I'm not sure if he's still represented by Brody Van Wagner or not, but that's going to be a, a lot of that is going to be up to his agent. Um, but something that we're seeing much more commonly these days are backloaded contracts where players continue to get paid uh, yearly after they retire. So maybe he looks to do something like that and it, uh, it takes down his yearly average while allowing him to uh, make the totality of the contract over a long time. But when he's healthy, he's really something special. And I'm hoping that he can figure out whatever it is that's not allowing him to stay healthy, at least over the past year. Because since the All-Star break last year, he threw like two innings in, in spring training and, uh, and hurt his shoulder. So I'm not sure if it's something with the mechanics. I'm not a pitching coach. Uh, he doesn't need to throw 100, 101 miles an hour. If he could figure out uh, how to throw 97 consistently, I, I have a feeling he would be just as effective. Um, but I think for sure you got to give the guy what he wants. He's earned it. What do you say to that, Doc? Do you think he's earned it? No. I, I think the argument that when players first come up that they're underpaid is absolutely true. But and, – and, and look, if Steve Cohen is going to run his team – which is the way I wish the Yankees would run their team and say, I'm not going to worry about a budget. I'm just going to make sure that I have the best players that I can get on the team at any one moment. Well, sure. Then, then you give Jacob DeGrom a contract, but I'm saying if I were the GM or if I were the owner, um, the, the, the system is built and designed that when you first come up, you have to prove yourself and you're going to be vastly underpaid. But if I'm running a team, I'm not going to make my decisions based upon the fact that you were underpaid last year or two years ago or five years ago. And so I'm going to overpay you at this point. I, I just don't think that makes financial sense. If I'm the Mets outside of anything else, I, I don't, there's not a chance in the world. I would offer Jacob DeGrom a, a big contract. Yeah. He was a great Met and he's a great pitcher when he's on the field. But last year, 20 or two years ago, 2020, he pitched in 12 games Last year in 2021, he's pitched in 15 games. This year, he's pitched in zero games. And he is 34. And I understand what Josh is saying, that he's a young 34 because he has about half the innings as Clayton Kershaw. But he has half the innings not because he's got um, a younger arm. It's because he has an arm and a, and a shoulder that's been injured. The guy can't stay on the field. And it doesn't make financial sense if I'm a franchise to be paying a guy who's now going to be entering his mid to late 30s, big time money, which is what it's going to cost to keep Jacob deGrom, uh, to, to pay for his decline years. There's just no way in the world I would do that. Um, he, I'm sorry. He can't stay on the field. That's only been since last All-Star break. You say he, he pitched in 12 games in 2020. There were only 60 games. So that's one-fifth of the games, which makes perfect sense. And uh, he's only not been able to stay on the field since last All-Star break. He, he never had any indicator of that uh, prior to – prior to less than one year ago. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, that, that. That was a poor argument on my part. I was forgetting about the COVID year. Still, the guy's injured. He hasn't pitched at all this year. He hasn't. He didn't pitch at the end of last year. And there's just no chance I'm going to invest that kind of money in a guy going forward who's, who's 34. He's going to be 34 next week. So um, I'm not going to be paying big-time money for his age 35, 36, 37, 38, 39 years. It just... To me, it doesn't make any financial sense. And, you know, he's saying I was underpaid in the beginning of my contract, so I'm going to opt out if, if that's what he's saying. Like, okay, but that's the truth about everybody, you know, and it's just not the Mets' fault that 
just like it's, I think we're going to talk about Aaron Judge in a moment. It's not the Yankees' fault that Aaron Judge didn't become great uh, and become a free agent until he was older than most guys in their late 20s. It's going to be Judge getting a contract when he's in his early 30s. I, I wouldn't make the same mistake either with Aaron Judge. We'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the only problem I got, guys, I, I don't have a problem. I don't think Josh Jacob DeGrom wants a long extension. I really don't. That's not where he's going to make his money. If he's opted out already, if he's ready to opt out after this year, and I'm, I don't have the figures in front of me, I think he makes he's going to make more next year and the in the in the last year of his contract, the option year, than he will this year, uh, the year after. I'm sorry, than he will next year. I think it's like 34 million. He's going to make 32. I think. And again, I'm not looking at my notes, so I'm not 100 percent sure. But I know he's going to make a couple million dollars more. And the only thing I would want for a GM as a or an owner, I don't care who it is. If you're going to tell me you're going to opt out when you haven't even pitched yet, I got a serious problem with that. I mean, what are you talking about? You haven't done nothing for us in the last two years. You already opt out already and and and, and say, well, bid on me again. That's where I got a problem. And I know that 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 a lot of people say, pay them what they want. They're great. Blah blah blah. And and how do we know that the same pitcher with that injury wouldn't be pitching right now? We don't. And the problem I have with today's players and today's owners and GMs is they baby the pitchers. They baby the players too much. And that's why they don't pitch a lot anymore. Anytime there's a pull or, a, or, or, or there's some tenderness, we're pulling them out of the game or I'm pulling myself out of the game. Well, you haven't pitched, dude. And not that I don't – I think Jacob DeGrom is awesome. But if I'm a GM or owner and you're telling me – that you haven't pitched the game yet, you're going to opt out after this year. I say goodbye, man. Have a, have a good life. There's plenty of great pitchers out there, and you're not going to you're not going to make us lose the World Series because you're not here. So that's the problem I have in this instance with this type of contract. It's not the extension, Josh or Doc. It's not that uh, I got to sign send him for ten years. I'm not even talking about that. I don't think Jacob Degrom wants that. I think he wants to have a another contract. We're going to hop out again the next year, and again the next year, the next year, like a lot of players are doing right now. And that's the problem I have with Jacob Degrom. So before I even try to talk to him about a contract, I want to find out what this new contract is going to consist of. Are you going to be be able to opt out after I sign you to an extension after a year or two? Because if you are, I don't want you anymore. And that's the biggest problem I have with that, Josh. Make it incentive-based. If you if you start 10 games, you make this much money. If you start 20 games, you make this much money. If you start 30, if you win the Cy Young, if you win two games in the playoffs, you know, you you create these incentive-based uh, opportunities for the player to stay on the field. I agree with that. And, you know, thinking about it, DeGrom isn't pro- – you're probably right. He's probably not going to want a super long-term extension. But if you're talking about, okay, I'm guaranteed $35 million next year, Maybe I can get a hundred million over the next three or four years. And that's, you know, these guys uh, in one year make more money than any of us will ever make in our lifetime. But the old adage is that they're entitled to make as much money as humanly possible. They're in the 0.000001% of the population where they can do something that, uh, that the majority of the world cannot do. And in a, in a free market, they, they deserve to get paid whatever yeah. they can, whatever someone's yeah. willing to pay I for. I, listen, I, I agree. I agree with that entirely too. I, I, as a person who usually supports the players in all these arguments. Yeah. I want them to make as much money as they possibly can. So uh, let me just clarify once again, if it's the Mets and Steve Cohen is willing to pay whatever it takes to put a winner on the field. Sure. 
pay Jacob DeGrom, let him finish his career as a Met, pay him as whatever he wants and let him, let him be a Met forever. I think that's great. If I'm the GM, if I'm the owner and I'm working within a budget, I would not pay him. So I, I think there's just a, I'm trying to make that point different. Like if, if it's my team, if I'm thinking long-term, Jacob DeGrom is not a player I'm going to invest big time money in over the next so many years. And I'll bet you he's going to be a $35 million pitcher. And I bet you the team that signs him is going to sign him for three, four, five years. It's just not an investment I would make if it was my team. No, that's fair enough. I mean, again, I, I, I kind of think that uh, DeGrom would not go for a long extension anyway. Um, I don't know how that would help by signing somebody that doesn't go on the field and pitch. Uh, I, you know, I agree with you, Josh, incentive based contracts are great. Is the agent going to go along with it? Is the pitcher going to go along with it? That's the only problem, you know. I don't think so either, unless you make it so outlandish. You know, I'll throw you another $10 million if you, you know, you win, blah, blah, blah. I mean, something like that they might. But what owner's going to do that? I don't care how much money an owner has, Doc. You still want to get a return on what you invest in, right? That's the whole, that's the whole idea of building a team, right? I mean, if you're going to invest in whoever and bad players like the – like uh, for instance, the Angels, they made a lot of investments too, but it didn't work out for them. Texas Rangers did the same thing. You've got to get the every right. team, of course. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So, Doc, Carl Pavano, ring a bell? <laughs> listen, listen. Again, if I'm the Yankees, I, I would go after the great players always. And that was the mark of George Steinbrenner. Didn't always work out. But – Right now, the Yankees are operating within a, a very strict budget. It's a big budget. When people say the Yankees are being cheap, they're not being cheap. I think they have the third highest payroll in baseball. It's not like they're being cheap. They haven't always been smart with their allocation of money. But all that's beside the point. They're operating within a budget. Whatever that budget is, they're operating within that budget. And if that's the budget, I'm not spending, if I'm the Yankees, big-time money on a guy like Jake and Jacob DeGrom or – and we're going to get to it in a few moments. Aaron Judge is not doing it. What was most interesting about this recent, uh, you know, lockout or I guess avoided lockout was the uh, the tug and war between the players union and the owners. And the owners were saying that the pandemic, the pandemic hit us so hard in the books and the players are saying, open the books, show us the books, show us the numbers. And they refused to, with the exception of one team, which is publicly traded, the Atlanta Braves. And it showed that uh, the Atlanta Braves made $180 million profit last year. So you can only imagine what bigger markets like New York and Los Angeles and Chicago are making even during these, you know, even during the last two pandemic affected seasons. So in terms of budgets, these teams are doing just fine. Yes. Yes. I mean, I agree. Oh, I agree. I, I again, that's, that's not my argument. Yeah. So but I agree. Yeah. If they didn't make money, they wouldn't be doing it. These are all big, smart business people. They're not going to invest in money just to lose. So let's get to the next big contract coming up at the, it should have been signed already. It wasn't, it's going uh, to the year. Um, You know, I mean, I, I, I was so upset when he didn't sign it. I said, the heck with him, get rid of him. Of course, now I've changed my tune. Uh, Listen, you know, Every team, to me, it seems like every player in their last year of the contract, for some reason or other, all of a sudden comes out and has a great year, right? And they always, and then they get that next contract, and then they kind of cool off a little bit. Maybe they bounce back. I don't know. But Aaron Judge, Aaron Judge went healthy, is one of the best players in the league. There's no doubt about it. I mean, outfield, hitting, 
um, home runs, power for average, RBIs, great outfielder, great arm. I can play left, can play center. He's got enough speed to do that. He's in his 30s, in his early 30s, and he decided not to sign that. Uh, I forget how many years it was, Doc. Was it eight or six? Seven. Seven Right. So over over 30 mil a year, he wants to either get more years or more money. I'm not sure which one. But so here we go at the end of the year. If he stays healthy and plays a heck of a year, uh, Doc, we're going to let you go first and see if you're consistent. Do the Yankees give Judge what he wants and sign him? Do the Yankees give him what he wants? What I think there's want? a likelihood if, if, if that the Yankees – million, that, for example – if he wants thirty-five million for ten years, do you give it to him? Well, I, I, again, do I give it to him? Yes. No. You. Yeah. So, do the Yankees do it? The Yankees might feel that pressure. The same idea, like Aaron Judge has to retire a Yankee. He has to spend his whole career in pinstripes, and we did a bad job from this perspective that we didn't sign him earlier and extend him earlier. And now we have to pay through the nose because he's going to be a thirty-five, thirty-eight, forty million dollar player for the next. 10 years or whatever. If I owned the Yankees, I, there's no way it's the same exact argument. I, I run from paying Aaron judge anything more than like six years, 30 and a half million, I think is very fair. I brought up Bryce Harper before Bryce Harper's contract. Oh, wow. like a couple of weeks ago. Um, you good. Okay. Yeah, we're good. Um, I I made that argument the other day on the blog with with some statistics that since 2019, uh, Harper and Judge basically have the same overall war. Um, The the idea of paying Aaron Judge from age 31 to 40 or 41 to me just doesn't make sense. And I draw a comparison to what Albert Pujols did with his big contract. He signed his big contract after his age 31 season. And I just don't think it's a great long-term investment. Would I give Judge the $30 million that he that he turned down? I would. Would I go more than that? I wouldn't. I, I understand he's a fan favorite. I understand his is the jersey that they sell. But if I'm working within a budget and that budget's going to rule my team going forward, I just can't see myself spending $35, $38, $40 million a year on a guy who's going to become old very quickly. People talk about John Carlos Stanton being old. They're like, ah, Stanton's so old. He's 32. He's only a couple of years older than Aaron Judge. And listen, I love Aaron Judge. This isn't a fact that I don't like him. I think he's great. I want him to retire a Yankee. But does it make good financial sense for the Yankees to give him an eight to 10 year contract at 35 plus million dollars a year? I just don't think it does. So I would not invest in Aaron Judge. I'm not going to pay him in 2023 for what he did in 2022. Just not. I'm not going to do it. And and uh, of course, Josh. I mean, you being a a Mets fan, if the Yankees did not sign Judge, and I would imagine that the Mets would make a play for him. I mean, the Mets would love to get a player like Judge, uh, and and you do have a pretty wealthy owner there. And you, could you see him? Sitting in right field for you guys right now? Ah, that would be a beautiful sight. Uh, it, it never even crossed my mind, but uh, <laughs> now that you bring it up, that that would be just great. And it's something that Steve Cohen would do just to kind of steal the back page headline and uh, and you know get the get the papers talking about the Mets again. Definitely. Um, Definitely. 
lot of comparisons to the the Harper deal of a few years ago when Bryce Harper signed that deal. And by the way, I let me get out in front and say I agree uh, with Doc's stance. Um, when Bryce Harper signed that deal, he was 25 years old. He was entering his age 26 season, and he had already proven to be very durable. He uh, he had already won an MVP, and he'd never played fewer than 100 games in a season. And uh, that durability has stood the test of time. Uh, he won the MVP last year again, and um, he plays a great right field, as does uh, as does Judge. You know, I think they're they're very comparable when they're on the field, uh, actually, when you think about it. And I'm all for – I'm usually a, a huge fan of guys betting on themselves, but I just can't imagine anybody turning down – a guaranteed $210 million. It's like the old line from the movie Wall Street. Like how many, how many yachts can you water ski behind, man? Like at the end of the day, what's the difference between 250 million and $210 million? What can you buy with 250 million that you can't buy with $210 million? So ordinarily I love guys that bet on themselves. I hope it works out for them. Um, but I agree with everything Doc said. I just don't think you can you can be paying this guy into his forties, and the the Albert Pujols contract is just the perfect uh, parallel. Well, I'm I'm going to disagree with both of you. I was standing with Doc a lot earlier uh, because I was so upset he didn't sign, saying he was going to sign, and I was upset that he kind of broke his word there. But let me tell you something: the Yankees have. Put up with Stanton's contract. What is he making per year? Thirty something million a year, and he still. I, have I think it's. I think it's in the twenties, and and uh, my twenties are paying all of it. Okay, I, th I think the Yankees are paying like twenty four. I could get the exact number. Twenty by twenty four million dollars a year. The Yankees are still doing all right. There are a lot of teams out there playing in big salaries. Uh, the Mets are paying one right now with their shortstop, and they're doing pretty good. They still doesn't mean you can't build a team. Especially if, if you have, say, two high-profile players and you're paying them over $30 million a year, you don't, that doesn't mean you can't build a team around them. I mean, the Dodgers pay everybody, I think, $30 million. I think that's the minimum wage in the Dodgers right now. But the point of being is that Aaron Judge has filled a void, and i got to finally admit it, he has. He's filled a void for the Yankees. We've had a void for a long time since Derek Jeter left. And that's someone to actually step up and represent the Yankees. Um, and, and I think on a team like the Yankees, you need somebody like that. You need somebody that that makes people go to the Yankees, that sells the shirts, that represents them. The Yankees historically have had great captains. And Judge looks like he could be one. And whether they're injuries or whatever, keep him out of the, the sports. And it can happen because he's been injured a lot. And I understand that. But I'm going to tell you right now, guys, there ain't nobody, no player, except for maybe Mike Trout, better than Aaron Judge in, at his position and playing baseball. And to me, if you're going to sign him 10 years for $35 million, which is $350 million, I don't know what they would guarantee out of that. There will be a lot of stipulations I guarantee into this contract. It doesn't mean that the Yankees can't get other players. And that's the big falsehood I think we're looking at here right now is that just because we get Aaron Judge, does it? We, we can't get any other players. But that's totally false. That is not true. Of course, you can still get good good players. So to me, I think Judge gets his eight to ten years. He gets his thirty five million for the Yankees. I say go for it. Uh, there was a player about his size that played pretty well too. 
into his late 30s named Dave Winfield. And with the DH rule, a judge will be, in one way or another, he's still going to make some kind of a, 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 a no, uh, some kind of uh, way with the Yankees. I mean, he's going to still contribute. Them. So I think I think the Yankees will give it to him. If I was a GM, I would. And uh, that's my opinion. Keep in mind also, teams can um, mitigate the risk that they're taking on with these contracts through insurance. Like when David Wright got spinal stenosis, he was set to make something like $23 million a year. But the Mets only had were only on the hook for $1 or $2 million of that. So, you know, you work things like that into it, and maybe that makes uh, teams feel a little bit better about signing a, an injury-prone guy to uh, to a very long-term contract, or rather an older player to a long-term contract. And, and, and Doc, I mean, I know you're worried about his injury. I am, too. He's been injured. But what other player in the last three years has stood out for the Yankees? Which other one? I mean, DJ LeMahieu. Yeah, I guess, but he's not really a Yankee Yankee, right? He doesn't. He didn't. He didn't come up with the Yankees. He got. You traded for him. He's a good. He's a good player, and he's part of the Yankees. But it, what other what other Yankee has there been in the past three years that really represent the Yankees? No, it, listen. It comes down to the fact that Aaron Judge has been the big Yankee. He is, you know, if you want to say the face of the franchise, that that is what he is. The question really is the business sense. Does it make sense to pay Aaron Judge big money for his decline years? And and listen, I, I can see this as clear as day, the handwriting on the wall. The Yankees in a number of years are going to have a 37, 38, 39-year-old Aaron Judge earning 30-some-odd million dollars a year. And he's not going to be performing at that level. Part of Judge's value is also that he's a great outfielder, a very good defensive outfielder with a rifle arm. And when he's old, he's not going to be that guy. And you're going to be paying big time money for a guy who's really just going to be a DH. And the question is, how good will he be as a DH? You look at Stanton and everybody keeps saying he plays better when he's in the field. They said the same thing about Jason Giambi. He played better when he was in the field. And he doesn't do as well being a DH. A lot of guys say that it's a hard position to play because you're just hitting. And that's all you do is you got to get up and you got to try to stay loose. And this is a guy who has been frequently injured. So how loose is he going to be able to be if he's not moving around and he's just sitting all game? Well, especially well, as he gets older. So I, I just don't see that being financially uh, sound for the Yankees to be paying Aaron Judge upwards of $35 million a year when he's going to be hitting, what, 260, maybe hitting 20-some-odd home runs in his late 30s. It's a bad investment, and people are going to be mad at that contract because there's going to be Bryce Harper Jr. or Derek Jr. III or Mickey Mantle V or something, and the Yankees won't be at Juan Soto or whomever it'll be, and the Yankees won't be able to get him because they're going to have Aaron Judge clogging the contract and clogging the payroll. Well, well, let me let me knock your let me let me knock your Pujols argument out of the water. That's that's not even a good argument because Pujols only plays first base. So I mean, Pujols is that didn't play the outfield. He didn't play uh, any other position. He only played first base. Aaron Judge, why can't you move Aaron Judge to first base? How do you know he can't play first base? You're you're comparing him as an outfield doc, an outfielder. He's a multi-purpose player. He can play in center field. He can play in right field. He can play in left field. He might be able to play first. He might, but he might of, not. Uh, it's true, he might not, but he's a multi-purpose player. He's, Pujols is one thing. He's a first baseman. That's it. He's a first baseman or a DH. He's not gonna. He won't gonna. He's not gonna catch. 
So, I mean, that's to me is not a, is not a fair argument uh, when you put them up against Pujols, first of all. And second of all, there's been a lot of good DH hitters into their 40s. If I can recall, there's a couple up there that, that made the Hall of Fame as DHs or are going to make the Hall of Fame as designated hitters. So, and I, I don't buy the argument they can't get a Soto if they sign Judge. I don't buy that argument. Sure they can. Why can't they sign Soto? Why, why didn't the Yankees oh, sign Bryce Harper? Bryce Harper's all done, Doc. That's gone. That that's but why that's, didn't they sign uh, Bryce? I Harper? don't know, but what? But what? Because he was because he was too much money. Because they're operating within a budget, and if they're operating within a budget, they're saying I'm not going to spend that kind of money on another player. If the Yankees didn't operate within a budget and the, there wasn't a, a luxury tax, sure, pay Judge fifty million. I don't care, but he's going to take a significant amount of that luxury tax amount, and he's not going to be making the money. Or the, he's not going to be valuable enough going forward to justify the pay the salary they're going to pay him, and that's going to prevent them from signing other guys. Well, if we're talking, why, did, about, why didn't they get Verl- Verlander a number of years if, ago? If they should have, if we're talking, they about, have, but they didn't because it was if, too much money. But if we're talking about baseball as a business, return on investment is kind of subjective because are you talking about strictly as a businessman, right? Are you talking about the value on the field or the value in dollars that they bring in? Because if you're talking about Aaron Judge puts people in the seats, he's the number one selling jersey, then financially speaking only, not talking about his play on the field, which I know we care about as fans, but if we're talking about operating within a budget and we're talking about the financial side of baseball, he could be bringing in more revenue just by being on the team than not, even if his production falls off. If we're just talking from an owner and a GM's perspective about dollars and cents, he might be worth $35 million a year in all the other revenue that he brings in. Just just bringing that up. That could be true. I, I'm not going to debate that. But the amount of money that his contract – what you're doing is you're making an actually a very interesting thing where if you look at the luxury tax, right, and teams could then defer some of that money and say we're paying Aaron Judge $50 million, but we're earning $25 extra million on jersey sales, so he's really only costing us $25 million, so $25 million should only be what counts against the cap. Yeah. Then, then that's a great argument to make because then the Yankees could, could do that and it would only be cost you know, half that money to the, to the salary cap, but that's not how it works. The salary cap is what it is, or the luxury tax, two hundred and fifty million. And if Judge is making fifty million, that's a big part of that two hundred and fifty million going to one player who's going to be entering his decline and in his decline over that ten-year contract. And and that just doesn't make sense because that's going to prevent them from getting the players they need. People are not going to be happy that there's a thirty-seven-year-old Aaron Judge with four or five years left on his contract, making thirty-seven and a half million dollars and hitting two sixty-five and hitting twenty-two home runs. That's they're not going to be happy about that. Why do we have this guy? We saw that with CC Sabathia. We saw it with A Rod. We saw it with Mark Teixeira. We saw it. Oh, uh, we're seeing it with John Carlos Stanton. They're, they're not going to be happy. They're saying, I, I want the night, the 2021 Aaron Judge. Of course you do, but that 2021 Aaron Judge isn't going to be on the team in 2021. Well, again, again, Doc, you're, to me, that's that's not a great argument because the share was only a first baseman. Sabathia was only a pitcher. They only got and, and Judge is only an outfielder. 
Judges are, yeah, but we don't know that judge can't. Tashira can't play the outfield. Sabathia couldn't play the outfield. We know that judge could play and sub out and, and as an outfielder, as even as an older player. And we don't know whether he could play first base or not. I don't know if he's ever tried it. All I know is that to me, you're saying, well, these one guys that have one specific area that they played uh, declined, so that wasn't a good deal. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. And I think A-Rod did pretty good in his late years, too. He had some pretty decent years in his late years. But besides that, all I'm trying to say, Doc, is that to me right now, the Yankees have something they haven't had in a lot of years. And that's a guy that is considered the captain, that considered that they consider that they want to be on the Yankees. That fans want him to stay on the Yankees. A, a bigger, you know, sort of like a Gardner, but to an unbelievable degree, right? They want him to stay a Yankee. And if they start complaining when he's 37 and he's hitting 260 and 27 home runs, which is pretty good by today's standards, to be to be fair. If he's doing that then, I, in fact, I think some players are making 25 million a year doing that right now. But if he's doing that then, I mean, so what? If we can get to three three world championships or the close to three world championships in the next three or four years, is that worth it? I, I don't think so. And I don't think this team's built to win three or four World Series over the next three years. I think they're built to win a World Series this year. And then I think you're going to see a giant change because a lot of these guys are gone. So if you want to make the argument, this is what EJ's argument is on the uh, Start Spreading the News podcast, that all the expensive contracts, except for Cole and Stanton, for the most part, are going to go away over the next couple of years. So why not just invest a ton in, in Aaron Judge because the other guys are going to be lower paid guys hopefully all these high um regard highly regarded minor leaguers come up and then you say look they're going to be saving so much money on the other end that they can afford to spend big on Aaron Judge that's an argument to be made to be honest though I've the Yankees have been hyping prospects for the last million years and most of them don't pan out and most of them aren't really doing that great this year so the way I see it, the Yankees are going to invest a ton of money in Aaron Judge. The prospects may not pan out, and then the Yankees are going to need to spend a lot of money to bring in good players in order to be competitive, and they won't be able to bring in enough big players because they're going to be investing that much money in Aaron Judge entering his decline years. And as for whether or not he can play first base, A-Rod was very athletic. He was a great defensive shortstop. He was a great defensive third baseman. They couldn't get him on first base. They tried Gary Sheffield at first base. That didn't work. Mickey Mantle tried first base. That didn't work. Aaron Judge is not Joe DiMaggio. I think Joe DiMaggio played about a week at first base before he said, this is embarrassing. I can't do it. It's a big difference moving from outfield oh, to sure. infield. And yeah. if Aaron Judge can't play the outfield and he's just a DH, a lot of his value will be lost. And that that's just a fact. A lot of his value or a good part of his value is the fact that he plays a great outfield. So when he's 38 years old, he's not going to be playing a great outfield. I don't know anybody who's 38 years old who plays great outfield. So the Yankees are going to be paying a ton of money for a DH. Again, do I want him to be a Yankee? Yes. Is that luxury tax going to be the reason I don't want him to be a Yankee going forward? Yes, because his contract, just like A-Rod's did with the Rangers, is going to handcuff the team in 20, in you know, five, six, seven, eight, 10 years because they're not going to be able to get the other players they need because so much of their salary is going to be tied up in Aaron Judge. Oh, Doc, I, I agreed with you to begin, and we were both on the same page. <laughs> I've kind of changed my view a little bit. But it's a good argument. 
And there's a good argument for for letting both both of these great players go. And there's a great argument for keeping both of these great players too. And that's why we call it a debate show. So, folks, we're going to take our last break for today. We'll be back on the other side. We're going to talk a little bit about should baseball keep modifying the game as the, as the times change. I know Doc has some views on that. Josh does, and so do I. And they're probably all a little bit different. So uh, stay tuned. This should be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll be right back after these messages. When the job is done, this guy will be ready to dig into something mighty good to eat. How do you handle a hungry man? The man handlers. One of the man handlers is Campbell's vegetable beef. Gets a man-sized supper off to a good hot start. Mmm, good. The man handlers. What is wrong with you? Thank you. When you hear the word asthma, you probably think of shortness of breath, coughing, or inhalers. Lots of things can trigger asthma, but the fact is that asthma doesn't just attack, it can kill. But with proper medical management, asthma is controllable. If you experience shortness of breath, wheezing, tightness in your chest, or persistent nighttime coughing, you may have asthma. See your doctor and get the facts. You'll breathe easier. For more information, call 211 InfoLine. A message from the Connecticut Department of Public Health. Keeping Connecticut healthy. fermentation. Most brewers just ferment their beer once, but Schaefer is fermented twice. Once to make it beer, and twice to make it Schaefer. The one beer with flavor so fine, it keeps shining through glass after frosty glass. More than one fermentation is one reason, but of course there's more than one reason behind the one beer to have when you're having more than one. I mean, you can see right now, without LeBron, Lakers are, are struggling. Let me tell you about a team I hate, all right? I know the Dallas Cowboys fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate this Oh, team. I'm ready. I've often said that the people who run baseball, they try very hard to ruin it. I'm from Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Oh, Brooklyn. Hey, isn't he? The Hometown Foundation is excited to bring back the Dream Ride Experience, August 26th to the 28th at Connecticut's Farmington Polo Club. Join us in celebrating the accomplishments of our Dream Riders 
while enjoying live music, a car and motorcycle show, family fun zone, pet adoptions, canine demonstrations, the fireman's chili cook-off, and much, much more. Get your tickets today. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Debate Show. I'm Mac with your two guests hosting today, Dr. Paul Semendinger, the Yankee expert, and Josh Rubin, the Mets expert. Been pretty interesting today so far. Now, a little quick promos for you. Um, Doc and his his Dr. Paul Semendinger and Dr. E.J. Fagan, I'll call them by their, their full names, are on Start Spreading the News every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. It's an all-Yankee show. They do a great job. Um, Jack's not here tonight, but boxing show Glove Fist with Frank Lotirzo is on just before Start Spreading the News Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern uh, on YouTube channel also. So uh, check them out Monday night. Um, it's, it's, like I said, a great show. Uh, the Mac and Jack Sports Show are Thursday through Sunday, 8 to 10 a.m. Please join us every day there. Tomorrow we have the great uh, This Week in Sports where we have co-host Dallas Cowboy legend Jim Jeffco is our guest host and we'll have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, guests that come in, three of them really, that come in every week. Uh, been knocking out of the park with views as we are doing today, believe it or not, guys. we got a lot of live views today, a lot of comments, so we're doing really good as far as uh, with the audience today. So, guys, just to get us up to speed where we are. So, so far, the uh, the 96 Yankees are better than the 86 Mets, right, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> Josh, Josh, we're, we're uh, uh, I don't know, what, 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 uh, ambushing you here. So. We're, we're living in the upside-down world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pettit's better great. than Kuzman. Mattingly's better than Hernandez. <laughs> just keep going. Yes, we're just, we're just, we're just uh, straightening it all out. And Josh is supporting us 100% behind That's right, yes. So anyway, so, I mean, I want to get in this subject, and, and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, Donnie Baseball and Hernandez, both in their prime, unbelievable first baseman. So we'll probably get to that after this one. I'm really interested in Josh's opinion, because I really not never got his opinion on this when I've talked to him before. But baseball is going through a lot of changes, right? You know, we, we, we've come up. With the instant replay, we've got an imaginary guy on second. Remember, remember when we did kickball and you and you kicked and you made it second. You said imaginary guy on second, right? That's what we're playing in baseball right now. So you just unlocked the memory. I hadn't thought about that in twenty years. Isn't that crazy, right? I yeah. mean, we used to do that as kids. We didn't have enough kids to play with. So uh, anyway, so we have our imaginary uh, kickball guy on second baseball now. Um, you know, they're, 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 they're trying to fool around with the pitch count. Uh, I mean, the pitch speed, I should say, which probably is a good idea. But it's always been a rule. They just haven't enforced it, really. But there's a lot of things happening, and they're trying to increase the game, the speed of baseball. And, Doc, I know – I'm going to let you go first because I know what you're for. I want to hear Josh's because I think I'm going to totally disagree with Josh. So you go first, uh, uh, Doc, on your thought process on the changes that are being made to baseball. All right, so there's so many that that we'd have to break down one by one. But in a big picture, I'm not a big fan 
of baseball continuing to tinker with the rules and change the game. One thing that makes baseball so beautiful is that the game itself is pretty much identical to the game that was played a hundred years ago. So it's easy to compare Babe Ruth to Aaron judge or whatever. Um, that being said, there are some baseball rules that I think are good ideas that will help speed up the game to make the game more engaging. One of those is to enforce a pitch clock where they've tried it. It hasn't taken away from the game in any way, shape or form. The other rule that I'm in favor of them changing, which seems to go against my previous idea, is I'm in favor of them outlawing the shift. And I've, we've gone through this in, in much detail before, but the basic idea is there's a certain rhythm to a baseball game, just like that kickball game, where if you kick a ball to a certain spot, you know it's going to be a hit. And when a guy hits a line drive, a left-handed batter into right field, that looks like it should be a hit. But with these new defensive configurations, it becomes a ground out. And it's just, it takes away from the natural rhythm of the game. I know there's the argument, learn to hit against the shift. If it was that easy, they would have done that already. They haven't done it because it's not that easy. And a lot of players have said that. And trying to do that messes up their swing. They made it to the major leagues because they're really good at doing what they do. And then you expect them to change when they're in the major leagues. Not also forgetting the fact that they're facing pitchers, especially now, throwing harder and harder. Um and fewer and fewer innings, so they keep bringing in new uh, pitchers to face these guys the second, third, fourth time they go through the batting order. And so it becomes that much harder to hit against the shift. So I like the idea of outlawing the shift because it puts the players in the positions where they are supposed to be, even though it's not in the rules that they have to be there. But it brings back some of the natural ebb and flow of the game. A line drive up the middle is a hit. Not right now. It's not because there's a guy playing right over second base. And, and that just drives me nuts. So I'm okay with that. Besides that, making the bases bigger, having a robot behind home plate and um, moving the pitcher's mound up or down or moving it back or forward. And this idea that a pitcher must face three batters and imaginary runners and seven inning double headers. I don't like any of those things. So that's, that's the quicker version of, of my answer. What do you think, Josh? What do you think about all these new uh, changes they're making? Certainly resistant to them at first, but coming around on them. Doc, I agree with a lot of the things you say about the shift, uh, especially that line drive up the middle. Man, when it just goes past the pitcher, you're like, base hit, and then there's a guy standing right behind second base for some reason. Um, and uh, Ron Darling a couple of years ago actually said to Gary Cohn on broadcast that, that for 100 years that was a hit. For, for 100 years that was a base hit. And now it's not anymore. And uh, also, I like what you said. Oh, learn to hit against the shift. It's not that easy because when when there's a particular defensive alignment, the pitcher is pitching the batter in a particular way as well. They're not giving them outside pitches to go. Oh, just go the other way. Just lay down a bunt down the down the third baseline. It's not that simple. The 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 team on the field, the defense is working cohesively to prevent you from doing that as the hitter. Uh, I love the pitch clock. It, it comes down to the fact that interest in baseball is waning. It's uh, it is no longer the the national pastime. It hasn't been for quite some time. Football is king. Basketball is uh, is right behind it uh, in terms of just the uh, the everyday American interest. I love the runner on second base to start the tenth inning to start extra innings. 
of course, take it away in the playoffs, just like in hockey. We got penalty shots in in the regular season. We play until somebody wins in the postseason. That's how I look at the runner on second base. You had the Yankees and Cubs go 13 innings yesterday. I don't know how many other 13-inning games there have been since this rule was instituted. Um, I think that's about as long as you're going to get. Um, so I love that for uh, for just getting the game over with, the, the speed of play. I love that. Uh, you had also mentioned moving the mound forward, back, up, down. Last year, the major league strikeout average for pitchers was equivalent to that of Nolan Ryan's career. Across major league baseball, pitchers were striking out batters at the same rate that Nolan Ryan did over his entire career. Think about that. The Atlantic League, which is an independent league, played around with moving the mound back 12 inches to 61 feet, six inches. And by doing that, they were giving the batters an extra, I think it was two tenths of a second to, to react to pitches. They abandoned it because they found that the data didn't prove that much was different. But I'm okay with them trying that. I'm okay with, you know, kind of tinkering a little bit and seeing like, hey, what can we improve here? Let's constantly try to improve. I love the fact that what you said, whoever whoever invented baseball, whether it was Doubleday or, uh, or, or whoever, you know, in, in the lore, we got 90 feet perfect. Bases are 90 feet, and that is, th- those are perfect dimensions. I agree with the fact that, like, you could look back 100 years and very little has changed, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't change. You know, the, there were pitchers used to bat, and now they don't anymore, and people seem to be okay with that. Um, so I'm, I'm okay with continuing to adapt the rules, just like uh, Brad Pitt said in Moneyball, adapt or die, Right. You know, if uh, if the sport is dying and and kids are not interested in the sport like uh, like we were when we were little kids, then we got to find a way to, to garner interest in the sport and, uh, you know, speeding up the speeding up the pace of play. And um, I, I'm I personally hate the, the three true outcomes, you know, strikeout, home run, walk. It's tough to watch a game with not a lot of base runners. It's just not interesting at all when the ball isn't put into play. Um, so anything to to kind of garner more interest in the game speed the games up i'm in favor of i love i love these types of debates because we always no matter you know the athletes are bigger they're faster they're stronger they make more money but they can't hit the ball to the other field i mean i i listen i don't care what they're trained to do Derek jeter could hit the ball left or right Bernie Williams could hit the ball to the left or right. I'm just giving you Yankee names. I know this you Carly Skrebsky could do the same thing. So can they, DJ LeMayu right now. The problem is that we baby our players too much. We say, okay, if you can't do that, it's a whole thing in society. I don't want to go into that because that become it become crazy. But we say, oh, well, you can't do that. Well, we'll let you have this then. Is that really what you want in sports, guys? You want guys that can't do things? They're professional players. They should be able to hit the ball. Now, maybe it's changed where they started doing all this launching stuff and all this great stuff. That's good. Hey, good. I'm glad you did that. But you are now a professional baseball player making millions of dollars. And if you can't wait an extra second, and doctor, oh, they're throwing faster than they were. Well, then it should be easier to go to the other field because you can't get the batter on in time. So I, I don't buy all that. I don't buy all that for a minute. 
the shift, eh, I don't, I really don't care about the shift one way or another. If you want to ban it, ban it. If you don't, you don't. I don't, I really don't care about that at all. I just think that if the batter is, is bigger, faster, stronger than he's been in, in the history of the league, that these players are that great athletes and they can't hit the ball to the other field or up the middle or where somebody isn't, then they're really not that good. And Pitchers I'm, are making millions of dollars too. Pitchers are bigger that. and stronger and throwing faster and than ever. Also, you got a kid on Tennessee throwing 105 miles what? per hour. And guess what? The pitchers aren't pitching enough innings as it is, too, because they changed baseball. Specialization. So, so, listen, let me tell you something, Josh. Stop babying the player. Knock it off, all right? These guys are professionals. They don't care whether you can do your – does your job say, okay, you can't screw in these screws, so I'll, we'll change everything to nail and hammers for you. No, you learn how to use a screwdriver. Come on. I mean, let's be realistic here. And secondly, Doc, I mean, I mean, you're with the shift now. You weren't against it before. You were, now you're not. And and again, I put all put all if I was a better, I say put all your people in whatever side of the field you want. I'm going the other way. That's how much confidence I have in myself. And that to me is part of baseball. Should they change baseball? Not at all. Baseball is what baseball is. Baseball is a long game that you take your kid to, that you get bored with sometimes, that you wait intensely for something to happen. What's changed is too many people are on their cell phones now, and they're not watching the game anyway. So what does it matter if it's faster or not? It really don't matter. They probably won't even see any part of the game because they're too busy doing this right now, and they get hit in the head with the baseball. So I don't care if you speed it up or you don't speed up. Baseball is what baseball is. What made baseball great is why baseball is great. But but we have stats that show that it's much different from when you grew up going to games. You grew up going to two-hour, 20-minute games. Now the games you know are why? three and a half hours. You want to know why? You want to know why? Because not everybody yes. was striking out and walking because they were hitting the ball, Josh. That's why they don't hit the ball anymore, right? That's why the games are so long. It's not because it's not because it, it, all of a sudden the pitch the pitch count went longer or whatever. It's it's not that they've been taking off their gloves and putting them on, changing their shoes, and and talking to people while they're in their batter's box since the time began. So why is it longer now? Because the hitters can't hit. Hit the ball. Stop striking you're, out. You're a football guy, Mac, right? Yeah. Yes. Change a lot of rules in football all the time. They did. I'm not. And I'm not in favor of it either. I'm Basketball, not change defensive let, let rules all the time. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. But that's what makes baseball great, Josh, is that it's, it, it's, that it's old. We know what it is. It's not. Listen, the reason why the kids aren't playing baseball, you want to know why? Because Major League Baseball don't give a damn about the kids. Because they got the kid, they got the games that at 9 o'clock at night. They don't go out in there and help them build fields anymore. They don't go out in the city no more. You want to know why? The players don't want to be bothered. The managers don't want to be bothered. The teams don't want to be bothered. That's why baseballs fell off. It's nothing to do with the game. That's fair. But... In fact, they, they they shut down minor league parks where people can go watch baseball. That's how much baseball gives a darn about the young kids. So I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear it's a long. It's supposed to be a long game. That's what baseball is. This is the way we've always done it. Is a terrible argument for resisting change. That's what's a, that's the what's, uh, what's a terrible argument, Josh. Is that we're going to make excuses for these major league baseball presidents, their GMs and players that they're not giving be- enough back to the community and they're not putting enough interest in the community and they're not learning how to play baseball anymore. That's a terrible argument. You really want to watch you really want to watch computer umpires? You really want to is that what you want? 
absolute behind home plate for balls and strikes. Yes. Absolutely. I want to watch computer want. umpires. Absolutely. And, and They're ask, putting it in our face. They're shoving it in our face. They have this, this strike zone box in our face so that you can clearly see when an umpire makes a wrong call. How infuriating is that? And 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 and, and that's not part of the game anymore then. What isn't? I'm sorry. The, the umpire making a bad call. That's not part of the game anymore. On a ball and strike, when they're when they're shoving it in our face, showing us what what is a ball and a strike. Forget about the replay. When when they uh, when they go to a replay and they take ten minutes to see like, oh, did the did the leather strap from his glove touch the back of his cleat a microsecond? That's not the nature of why replay right, I, exists. I that I, is I, that is infuriating. But I, when they're putting the strike zone box right in front of our face and showing us that was a bad call, there's no need for that. So There's still going to be human error involved. There's still going to be question, human Josh. error involved. Let me ask you a question. Don't we, don't we want human error to, to be the human error of the players rather than the officiator? Couldn't agree yes. more. Yes. But then let me ask you a question. Why does the Major League Baseball do anything about it? They're starting they to they're, they're starting to experiment. They have to experiment why, with no, it in I'm the lower leagues about, first. What I'm talking about, Josh, why didn't they do anything to the umpires that are making such bad calls? They got it on film. Why aren't they suspending them? Why aren't because they fired? Because believe it or not, the umpires are shockingly good at their jobs. So if there's one or two bad calls a game, that means that they were 98% accurate. Um, I, I follow these advanced stats. I'm sure you do too, Doc. There was a game a few weeks back where uh, the, in two separate games, there was a home plate umpire that only made one incorrect call all game, uh, balls and strikes. So these guys are actually incredible at what they do. But it's the it's the important plays that stand out, the Don Deckingers of, of it all that really just stand out. And, you know, one bad call can really influence a game. Kyle Schwarber was thrown out of a game earlier this year for uh, he was called out on strikes in the bottom of the ninth on just a, an absolutely terrible. Call. I think it was Angel Hernandez. When in doubt, just blame Angel Hernandez. You know, Carlos just brought up the point. The umpires have a stronger union than the NYPD. And he's right. He's right. So one or two things are going to happen. If I'm Major League Baseball, I say, listen, you either all get the same strike zone or guess what? The computers are coming in. I guarantee you the umpire, all these umpires will get the same strike zone. Guarantee you. I guarantee it. Moving them out, are you kidding me? What do we, why do we always got to make it for offense? Why do we always got to make it better for the offense? What's wrong with three to two? What's wrong with two to one in a game? Why do we got to push back the mound? Because, you know, the players, not only can't they hit it to the other field, they can't hit the ball at all no more because, you know, these, these guys are throwing 100 miles an hour now and they just can't adjust. So why do we always protect the offensive part of baseball? Because offense sells. Not, if we're well, talking about baseball as a business, offense well, sells. Look well, at the summer not, of 1998. Mm -hmm. Okay. But if, it, if, it, if you're right at that point, if offense sells and all these changes they're making for the batters, how come it's not selling anymore? Because I think baseball is making very good money. The question is, is it is it as popular as the NFL or basketball? That that's a different argument. Is baseball making money hand over fist? It is. Can they do things to make the game more streamlined and more exciting? They can. Um, and I think one of the easiest ways to do it is just to outlaw the shift because that's going to take away some of the three true uh, outcome stuff. Either I'm just going to swing for the fences because the only way to beat the shift is to swing and hit it over the fence, which no, means I'm going to be a more patient, which is going to make me more patient hitter because mm -hmm. I'm not going to, I'm only going to swing when the ball is right where I can drive it, which is going to no, make me face more doc. pitches. That's and, not true, Doc. And, how, did, how did Derek Jeter do it, Doc? How did he go the other way? 
Yeah, but he, that he was Derek him. Jeter's model from the start. That's but not he also the could pull the ball. But he also could pull the ball, Doc. And he was right, going but, to get but, but, every, but every hitter's not Derek Jeter. Every hitter's not Rod Carew. Every hitter's not Ichiro. Those guys could do it, but not every hitter hits that way. Well, Ted Carly Williams Scrimsey, couldn't do it. Carlos Scrimsey could. DJ Lemieux could do it right now. Bernie Williams could do it. I, I could probably, if I looked him up, I probably could find, if there's a stat for it somewhere, uh, batters that hit the ball the other way that were really good at it. We never Listen, looked up that stuff. The, the shift giveth and the shift taketh away. They keep these stats of hits that are lost to the shift and hits that are gained because of the shift that ordinarily would not have been hits uh, had had the defense been playing traditionally straight up. Right, right. So anyway, so what all I'm saying is baseball is not a made for television event. It's not. It never has been. But it's still it was still America's pastime. NFL is made for TV. Basketball is made for TV. Hockey, not so much either. But baseball is meant to go out and have a good time with your family, have an enjoyable day, go out and eat, go out and have a good time, meet some players, hopefully. They used to a long time ago, maybe not so much now. Baseball is what the reason why baseball is great is because of the game. And when you start changing the game, and, and mark my words, Josh, I'm a big NFL fan. That has, has is going to lose too. If they keep making all these changes where you can't hit people, that's going to the, the, the rating is going to drop for that too. Trust me, that's going to happen also. But the game is the way it is, and 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 that's the way it is. The thing about baseball is they don't never and don't know how, and I don't know why to promote the game off the field. They don't do it anymore. I don't know why. Maybe they're just maybe they're just happy with the way it is, and that's their own fault. And that's what I think is happening to baseball. I mean, I mean, you you go look NFL three on three basketballs everywhere. There's a court. Football is going out into the neighborhoods, refurbishing uh, high school stadiums. Why can't baseball refurbish all these baseball fields? You don't see that anymore. What's going on with Major League Baseball? That's what bothers me about them today. I don't understand it. I don't. I just don't understand it. I don't understand why they don't want to get. It's a sport that sport that doesn't appeal to the lower socioeconomic. Uh status people of of this country certainly uh it's a it's a global sport and we get guys from other countries of lower socioeconomic statuses but uh it's ex it's an expensive sport to play for one the equipment's expensive uh it's a long sport to follow the day in day out grind of 162 games uh coupled with the short attention spans of you know i hate to say it but it, it's true you know these kids uh yelling at a cloud right um, but it, but it's the truth. And, uh, you don't see a lot of, you don't see a lot of black guys in the, in the major leagues anymore. You see a lot of Spanish guys, you see a lot of white guys, but how many true African-American players are there in, in baseball? Not a lot. So to appeal to, uh, to a large portion of the country that are big NBA, big NFL fans, it's tough when you don't see a lot of black representation in the major leagues also. Well, I got a question for both of you, Doc and Josh. The way they run their minor league system, right? You get a good ball player who's who's coming up. They may spend three, four years in the minor system before they come up. Football and basketball are totally different, right? You could you could start the following year or within the next two years. You're drafted right from a college, right to the team. They don't do that in baseball. And I think that needs to be changed. How's that? That's one thing I think they should change in baseball. I think that there should be some kind of fast track in baseball to players that really look good. And even if they flop, so what? I think there should be a fast track. That way you could follow players better. 
I think that has to be changed. That's one of the things that has to be changed in baseball. And it has nothing to do with the game. It has something to do with the system. That's what first thing I would change. Don't, with don't they do that? Like, didn't Juan Soto, wasn't he fast-tracked? Wasn't Bryce Harper fast-tracked? Yeah, those are the outliers. You know, the baseball, the MLB draft is probably the, uh, the because most baseball's risky. Because baseball is a sport that takes longer for you to develop against the competition. That's why you go through the minor leagues. Players who have proven that they don't need to be in the minor leagues, they get fast-tracked. But just look at a guy like Anthony Volpe, who had a great year last year and is struggling this year. As you move up the minor league ladder, the the competition just gets that much harder. And you can't just say, well, you did great when you were 19. We're going to put you in the major leagues. It's very rare that a player can do that. In other sports, they can do that more readily because it's well, a different I, I, skill I don't, set. I don't believe it takes more to learn baseball than it does football, Doc. I don't believe that. I don't think it's more difficult or more complex a game. Uh, baseball but is more complex. There's never been a 19-year-old NFL player in the history of the league. We've had That's many. That's because the NFL, the NFL don't allow it. They don't allow it. They don't allow it, Josh. You've got to be. Yeah. You've got to be. You've got to be at least two years in football, uh, college before you go. But the thing about baseball is, you can go through college, and you can go into the minor leagues, and then you end up in the end up in the major leagues. And like the case of Aaron Judge, thirty-one years old. I don't know how good he was at twenty-six or twenty-seven, but I imagine he, he struck was out too good. much. He Did struck he? out too much in the minor leagues. Yeah. Yeah. What what is wrong is how these uh these organizations manipulate their uh the players' I agree with that. time, yes. you know, to, so that they don't have to like what happened with Chris Bryant with the Cubs. You know, yes. they leave they leave them in the minor leagues to start the the season. They bring them up in in May, and now they can't get paid for a full another year. Yeah, uh, they did that with Glaber Torres. The Yankees. Yes, they did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. They did that exactly with Glaber Torres. Um, real quick. Um. Let's take a little bit. See, I just like baseball the way it is. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a blast of a dying breed. Uh, I was going to say who should be sellers, the Phillies or Red Sox. I thought that might be good, but all of a sudden the Phillies are on fire. The Red Sox have been on fire lately. I don't think either one of them would be sellers unless uh, one of the two of you disagree with me. A week ago, it would have been the Phillies after firing their manager, but now they've won eight in a row. The Braves have won nine in a row. The only thing I can say as a Mets fan is it's got to be disheartening to win nine games in a row and still see yourself six and a half games back in the division, you know? So that's that's uh, that's the one good thing the Mets have going for them. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. Right now, I don't think uh, either of them are going to be sellers. It's tough to predict in the next uh, you do, six, you seven weeks. I agree. Not, I mean, right now, every every team in the AL East, except for the Orioles, would be in the playoffs if it stopped today. That's how far back the Red Sox have come. That's awesome. That is really cool. Isn't that crazy? So uh, um, I don't think either one. So you guys want to talk a little bit about Bryce Harper. Um, let's let, let, While we've got time, let's talk a little about uh, Donnie Baseball and Keith Hernandez. Let's talk about Donnie right. Let's do that. Um, so – Doc, I don't know if you're going to make the, the argument for Donnie Baseball or not. I imagine you are since you're the Yankee expert here. Uh, what do you got? Why is Don Mattingly better than Keith Hernandez, Doc? All right. It's it's a, it's a weaker argument if I want to stay consistent with how the show began by picking Andy Pettit over, over um, Jerry Kuzman. Kuzman. But so Hernandez has a better lifetime war, barely, but a couple points, 46.3 to Mattingly, 42.4. So overall, you know, the, the statistics say that Keith Hernandez was better. Uh, Hernandez had 11 gold gloves. Mattingly had only nine. They each won an MVP. You go on and on. Um, Hernandez has the World Series. 
So those things all go in Keith Hernandez's favor. If push comes to shove, I'd probably pick him. But Don Mattingly was a lifetime 300 hitter. Keith Hernandez was not. Keith Hernandez played 17 years. Mattingly played only 14. But Mattingly out-homered him, 222 to 162. Mattingly out-RBI'd him, 1,099 to 1,071. Mattingly hit more doubles, 442 to 426. Mattingly had a higher slugging percentage. Mattingly had a higher on-base plus slugging and OPS. So you look at some of the uh, numbers, and Mattingly numbers were brought down because his career was uh, ended short because of the fact that he hurt his back. He was still the superior offensive player over a shorter period than Keith Hernandez. Mattingly was also considered the game's great player for a period of time in the 1980s. Keith Hernandez was never considered the game's greatest player ever, even though he did win an MVP. He was never considered the greatest player in the game. And you could argue that if Mattingly had played as many years, he probably would have had as many gold gloves. So I think it's a close argument. Push comes to shove. I probably give it to Hernandez because he had the longer career and he did have a couple of World Series. Mattingly didn't. But um, I think you could make the argument, the arguments I did make, that Mattingly was the better offensive player, which makes him the better player overall anyway. So that's my argument. You only have a couple moments there, Josh, so go for it. I, thanks. I think you're selling it short because I think it's a lot closer than uh, than you're giving Donnie Baseball credit for. From 84 to 87, his apex there was really unlike anything, uh, you know, we've seen in terms of offensive production uh, since. But um, – Yes, you're right. Keith Hernandez was not a 300 career hitter. He was a 296 career hitter. Uh, he had 11 gold gloves. Mattingly had nine gold gloves. Keith was a five-time All-Star. Mattingly was a six-time All-Star. Keith had two silver sluggers. Mattingly had three silver sluggers. Each won an MVP. Each had three other seasons where they were top 10 in MVP voting. So it is so, so close. Um, yes, the longevity you give to Keith. But what it comes down to, there is a player in the Hall of Fame right now who is there strictly because he's the greatest defensive player in the history of their position, Ozzie Smith. And Bill Mazarowski at second base. You think he's the greatest defensive second that, baseman that's, of all that's time? Part of the, that's part of the argument why they put him in there. Yeah, he got put in by the Veterans Committee many, committee, many, many years later, and he's probably um, – you know, uh, this is a debate for another day, the least deserving Hall of Famer, uh, arguably. Um, you can make a very strong argument that Keith Hernandez is the greatest defensive first baseman of all time. And if you're the greatest defensive player at your position of all time, that's going to kind of catapult you over someone who is relatively equal to you offensively, in my opinion. Um I would say Mattingly was a better offensive player, but like you said, with the longevity, Keith kept it uh, pretty close. Keith was a great leader. Uh, I'm sure Mattingly was as well. I really feel for a guy like Mattingly, kind of like uh, him and Mike Mussina had the uh, kind of similar uh, career path where uh, the Yankees won before they got there and won right after they left. Um, and that's got a sting for a guy like uh, like Mattingly. But I think it's a, it's a lot closer um, then you give uh, Mattingly credit for. Although I appreciate that you uh, would defer to Keith. I'm seeing slightly different uh, war numbers. I think you're just looking at Keith Hernandez's offensive war, that figure of 46.3. Baseball reference war, no? I, I see it as 60.3 um, over the course of his career co compared to uh, Mattingly's 42.4. 
Baseball Reference, by the way, give them a shout out because that is the greatest website of all time. Um, and believe it or not, Don Manley, even with all those go gloves, had a uh, negative defensive war over the course of his career. Back troubles at the end. If you've ever had any type of back injury, you know how debilitating that can be. So you really feel for the guy. Um, but yeah, I I, uh, I I admire the fact that you give Keith the edge, and I'll uh, I'll, I'll take that and I'll run with it. Uh, Gotta be fair. Well, listen, they were both great first basemen, that's for sure. And I think uh, both both one day will be in the Hall of Fame. So, folks. Thank you for joining the Mac and Jack Debate Show. Thanks, Josh, for filling in. Loved having you on. Did a great job. Always great having Dr. Paul Semendinger in with us. We'll see you again Thursday on the Mac and Jack Sports Show. And remember, Doc Scott starts spreading the news 9 p.m. Eastern on YouTube on the Multi-Trust. Have a great day, everybody. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow on – come on, let's end for me. This board is so – Slow today, guys. It's ridiculous. I complain. Josh, that's one thing I do with the whole show. I normally complain about the board all show. That's my outlet. Uh, so anyway, um, folks, again, have a great Saturday night. We'll see you tomorrow on the Mac and Jack. This week in sports and gym sports show. Uh, great show. Join us tomorrow. Enjoy Saturday night. Have a great day. <laughs>